Good morning. Welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and today we're going to be talking with Jason Finkelstein. Jason, how are you? I'm great, John. Great to be here. Would you take a moment and introduce yourself, please? Tell us what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Jason Finkelstein. I am the Chief Marketing and Revenue Officer for Tradeify. And what is Tradeify? So, Tradeify is a personality data platform company. And so we help datas to, uh, companies to collect personality data from both candidates and employees, and then help them make data-driven hiring decisions, but then also use that data to help uh, give value back to those same candidates and employees. So that's awfully esoteric. What does that mean? So I guess in today's modern parlance, you might simply think of us as a personality assessment company, but I find that the moniker assessment overly pigeonholes us. And in fact, the word assessment um, has been around for decades and decades. And so when you think about that, you think about these kind of long word-based tests that you kind of administer towards the end of a, of a hiring process to kind of check a box, very painful for, for applicants and something that, that as a company, you typically um, try to avoid because it makes your company look bad or bleeds candidates out of your funnel. And so the way uh, the way that these things have been designed are kind of, you know, they started on paper, and then when kind of modern-day SaaS arrived, they started to move in that direction. But still, none of them are really API-based, none of them are mobile-friendly, um, and none of them really think about how to give value back to, um, to candidates or to even employees even. And so we don't like to call ourselves assessment because we do all of those things that I just described old-school assessments never did. That's interesting, but but there's some trickery here. You you the the old school assessments. There was this sort of standard process that everybody understood. It took sixty or seventy questions that you had to answer, and that gave you a picture. And you don't do that. What what do you do? So we use a series of images and captions um, and a binary choice, uh, like me or not me. So you can imagine seeing a series of images on your on your mobile device, for example. And you say, oh, that's like me or that's not like me. Me, not me, me, not me. And because humans are visual creatures, we can process images about 60,000 times faster than we can process words. Um, we're able to collect an enormous amount of uh, behavioral data and personality traits from a series of images a lot faster um, than, we are from, than we are from words. You've heard the expression, of course, a picture is worth a thousand words. We put that into practice, I guess you could say. So how long does it take if I wanted to get uh, a picture of my personality from your tool? How much time would I have to invest? About two minutes. Yeah, about two minutes. And the traditional, um, at least for the to administer the a big five uh, model personality assessment, which traditionally has taken upwards of thirty to forty five minutes to administer in the past. That's astonishing. So, so you can give me the same amount of information about me that it would take forty five minutes to unearth in another method. That's exactly right. That's either completely silly or absolutely frightening. I'm not sure which. Well, um, I guess uh, it's just a, a sign of, of, of the modern day um, that uh, you know companies and people are figuring out much uh, more efficient and faster ways to do things. And actually, if you'll uh, if you'll bear with me, I'll give you actually the, the very interesting story about how we discovered kind of stumbled upon that because um, 
it's the kind of interesting story of the history of the company. But the very brief story is that the founders were not, are not IO psychologists. Um, they didn't kind of set out to create a better personality assessment for hiring. Um, they actually set out to build a dating app. Um, one of these found, they're both visual designers. One of them went on a bad first date, came back to the other one and said, that was terrible. I wish I had known more about that girl before I took her to that venue. Um, I probably would have chosen a different venue for us. Wow, I wonder if we could build kind of a consumer-facing app to help you know people who are on dates pick better venues. Turns out one of them had a neighbor who was a, a psychologist. They went to her after researching all the personality tests out there and seeing that they were all you know horrendous and long and not consumer friendly. And they said, "Do you think we could do this with images? Because we're visual designers, and that's kind of how we think about things." And she said, "Yeah, I think you can." And so they set about building a prototype. They took that prototype to college campuses to get students to use it for this dating purpose. The university administrators saw what they were doing and said, wow, this is great if you want to keep nagging our students about this, but what we'd rather you do is help them figure out a career path. If you can use your great format to help them figure out a career path, we would put it in our career centers and we would buy it today. Uh, and so that's kind of the story of the, of the first pivot of the company, if you will. And you know, some of the greatest companies in history, you know, Instagram, YouTube, et cetera, um, came from pivots where you kind of um, take lessons from, from different places and apply them to, to serve different purposes. So it may not be obvious to me, and, and, and I'm going to bet that it's not obvious to everybody who's listening. What happens when you can decrease the time it takes to do assessment and I assume decrease the cost associated with doing assessment? What, what are the consequences of that? Yeah, decreased time means uh, and decreased cost means increased completion rate and means you can collect a whole lot more data a whole lot earlier and then use that data for different purposes. So we, a lot of companies say that they're a quote unquote pre-hire assessment. And what that kind of ignores or kind of dodges is that, well, yeah, that they try to administer it before somebody is hired, but it's kind of after the application has been done after you've maybe screened somebody over the phone, and maybe even after you've brought somebody in for an in-person interview and you're pretty comfortable with them. Um, and so we actually think of ourselves as a pre-application assessment, really can be administered as the first part of the application or even before the application to give value back to the job seeker or applicant. So that allows us to collect an enormous amount of uh, personality data and then use that data for, for all sorts of other things beyond the traditional selection use case. So does personality actually tell you anything about um, how somebody's going to do in a job? Sure. Um, it, it absolutely does. It's really, you can think of it fundamentally as behavioral data. And as you, I guess you could think of it simply as a sliding scale from kind of lower skilled blue collar jobs, moving up to kind of higher skilled white collar knowledge worker jobs. Behavior in and of itself tends to be a great predictor uh, of performance and, and turnover intentions in those lower skilled jobs. And then as you move up the spectrum, you tend to have to measure more things like uh, skills or cognitive ability or general mental ability, for example. Um, and so it's, it's not exactly a black and white, but it's more of kind of a, a, fuzzy, a fuzzy line. But the science that we use, which is fundamentally based on the model of, person, of personality called the Big Five or Five Factor Model, which some people know as Ocean, has we, we've chosen to use that model of personality because of the depth of scientific research on it and its ability to to actually predict workplace performance uh, and turnover intentions. So this probably sounds like a dumb question, but how in the world would I know 
if a certain personality type would be good in a particular job? So you measure the personalities of the people and the behaviors of the people already in those jobs. You correlate uh, the performance or retention data um, with those personalities. You run a statistical analysis, and then you know it's from multivariate multivariable regression analysis. Uh, and then you're able to say, oh, people with that, you know, who express these traits very strongly, these traits tend to be predictors of performance in that job. These traits maybe don't matter as much. And so applicants who tend to express those traits very strongly or these traits very weakly are generally going to be uh, better fit uh, workers for, for that particular role. So role-specific benchmarking is how we do that. So the next sort of question running down this line is, it's 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 a kind of a diversity question, and and so I guess I need to ask you first if if there's good science that proves that personality testing doesn't bias you in some way towards gender or ethnicity or other protected classes, and then then the second thing is the monoculture question, which is um so so let's say you've got a happy family that's all diverse and they all have the same personality type doesn't that like make for a really wretched work environment so it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have the same kind of clone of of people um if you have uh you know people for example who are highly conscientious it doesn't necessarily mean you can't have introverted or extroverted people or fun or boring people or kind of, you know, very, very excitable or very calm people. But really, it, it, it tends to be uh, conscientiousness that is a, is a heavy predictor of workplace performance, as an example. So it doesn't necessarily mean you'll have, have clones of each other. And then to answer your first question, John, um, we've, we've obviously kind of run through all of the, the key motions around, you know, the scientific rigor and, and adverse impact testing, making sure there's no discrimination against protected classes like age, race, gender. Um, but then we've we've kind of gone a step beyond that, um, which is it's funny because these you know these tests that are kind of word based and kind of very long, we tend to think of people taking them on a you know on a tablet or a laptop even. But it turns out for for lower skilled workers, not everybody has those big screens, right? Everybody's got a mobile phone, but you don't necessarily have a big screen. And so asking somebody who may not be perfectly literate and who may not have a big screen to take a long word based test. AB isn't exactly a level playing field. And so because we use images and because we're very mobile friendly and, and don't use very many words, we think of ourselves as kind of leveling the, the socioeconomic playing field as well. Oh, interesting idea. Interesting idea. So what role does um, AI or the subsect technologies, um, what's the role of that stuff in your work? So yeah, a few ways we use AI. So Using personality or behavioral data, you know, we make predictions about who will perform well and stay longer at specific roles. We build benchmarks using the correlation between specific traits and, and then performance and retention data. Some traits have high, some have low correlations. Then we recommend applicants who score well on the traits that are predictive or better performing, you know, or have longer retention. The employees we make predictions for then generate their own set of real-world performance data or retention data. So when we can automate the collection of performance data, we can create a closed-loop system to refine and optimize those benchmarks and predictions over time. That's kind of, I would say, your pretty typical way in that we're collecting data in much higher volume and in much more frequency um, allows us to be able to do that. But then you may have heard me reference earlier kind of the idea of using Tradeify because of its lightweight format at different places throughout the employee journey. And so we also use personality data before anybody's ever even applied 
um, as a way to give value back to the job seeker, help them, for example, choose what job might be good for them at the company. So we actually avoid the whole issue of bias because it's actually, in that case, not a question of helping the company use the personality data to make a hiring decision, but actually helping the job seeker make a decision about what career or job might be good for them. And so when we make these recommendations, we do it based on personality data. But where do the recommendations come from? You can imagine if we had personality data at scale, and we can attach it to job data like function or focus or level or experience. We can do trait clustering to illustrate that people who express these certain traits strongly or these traits weakly tend to work in these kinds of roles. Then we can use, you know, a people like you collaborative filtering like recommendation, you know, to inform what, what guidance we give we give to those to those job seekers. So let me come up for air here for just a second. Looking for a new way to attract and engage top talent? Add student loan repayment to your benefits lineup. Benefit Ed makes it easy to offer this in-demand benefit any time of the year. Simple administration for you, simple sign-up for employees. With programs to help pay down student loans or save for college, Benefit Ed helps meet the education goal of employees at any life stage. Compete for the best and build your dream team. Learn more at youbenefit.com slash hrtech. That's y-o-u-benefit-ed.com slash hrtech. And thanks, you Benefit Ed. So we're back, Jason. So let's talk a little bit more about how you use AI. Is it, is it reasonable to think of Tradeify as an AI company, or are you a assessment company, or how do you, how do you define your I box? I think that uh, you heard me mention earlier, John, that we um... – you know, we don't like to kind of pin ourselves, pigeonhole ourselves in that assessment category because of all the different things we do. Our personality data company is maybe a better way to think of us. But actually, I would speak even more broadly about us, which is that really we are focused on candidate and employee experience. And the reason we focus there, to be quite honest, is around what's happening in the employment marketplace, right? The power is shifting enormously away from hiring companies and to job seekers and employees. And so using an assessment, for example, or personality data or behavioral data purely to help companies make hiring decisions doesn't really reflect what's happening in the employment marketplace right now. So we have focused deeply on delivering, helping companies deliver great candidate experience, which accrues benefit to their employment brand. And so to answer your original question, I would say we're not kind of an AI deep learning company yet, right? If you kind of think of the data science hierarchy of needs, right? You have to collect data and then move it around and store it and then, you know, do some data cleaning and anomaly detection and all that good stuff, aggregate and then kind of learn and optimize. We're kind of on that spectrum around kind of between exploring and learning and optimizing. So uh, we're not quite, uh, I I would say we don't quite have the scale of data yet needed to be a true AI company, but we are certainly on that path. That's that's interesting. So so tell me more. If I'm a job hunter and I come and take your assessment, what benefits do I get? So there's a huge loud world out there, as with all um, kind of you know cons- con- consumers and things they consume around. You know, there's there's a lot of choices, and humans have kind of tend to have paralysis of choice. Too many choices, and you can't make a choice. And so if I've been a you know, product manager or an engineer for 10 years, maybe I want to kind of keep doing the same thing when I'm searching for a job. 
but for younger job seekers or for job seekers who are looking to change careers, how do I really know? Are there tools out there, for example, to help recommend um, new career paths or jobs for me that, that, I might, that I might not have thought of? And so, you know, Netflix does this with movie recommendations and Amazon does this with, with product recommendations. Why not with, with kind of job or career pathing recommendations? So one of the values is a recommendation engine where we can say based on your personality traits, based on your personality profile, here are the work environments that might best suit your personality. Here are workplace compliments or conflicts. Here are jobs at this company that you're applying to that might be suitable to your personality. And that can help focus or refine or prioritize the results instead of just searching blindly. Interesting. Interesting. So what do you think the ethical issues are with this stuff? So we kind of touched on it earlier, but uh, really around selection bias, obviously in, in trying to find the balance between recruiting process automation, you know, for high volume hiring environments, for example, which is where we tend to focus, and then also kind of accommodating company needs to deliver great candidate experience, you know, while lowering kind of time and cost to hire, we're deeply aware of, you know, kind of potential issues around um, adverse impact. And so, and that we may introduce bias into the hiring process. So we do rigorous adverse impact testing. And as I mentioned, actually, also earlier, we kind of go a step further with that kind of idea of eliminating socioeconomic bias as well. The, the output of your product is a sort of a pigeonholing of people. Yeah. And I wonder if if there is a this is this is this is a uh, something that's just becoming a little bit itchy to me the the idea that that intelligent tools are actually best at categorizing people and stuffing them into boxes strikes me as an emerging issue for both the health of companies and the actual effective utilization of people it seems almost um that's I'm with you, John. It's definitely it's definitely um, something that we all have to be mindful of. In fact, the, the the parallel that I can think of is how many people use the Waze app to kind of and then blindly trust the recommendations that the Waze app says. Oh, turn left here, turn right there, and you're like, that's that's not the right route. I I know I can get there that way. Now you might be avoiding traffic, or it might be kind of rerouting me for the social good. It's putting up one you know some people that way and some people the other way, and so. As humans, we absolutely need to be mindful of walking this line between, well, am I going to trust the recommendation here? And so that is why we are deeply mindful of, again, not just using this data to give um, as a tool for the hiring company, but as a tool for the job seeker, right? And you can imagine that even you know, for companies reject candidates all the time, in particular high volume hiring companies, just as a matter of course, right? I only have 100 open roles and I have 1,000 applicants. I have to reject 900 people. There's no way around that. I only have 100 open jobs. What can you do with the people that you rejected? Well, certainly as an idea, you could help direct them to other opportunities or give them tools to help them interview better or communicate better or collaborate better um, or even just be aware of them, better aware of themselves. And I think that kind of growth mindset for job seekers or for people that you reject or even for existing employees may not exist as much as it should and can, I hope, counterbalance some of those ill effects that you're talking about to help humans be more, more aware. Not so much kind of putting people into a box and kind of pigeonholing them, um, but giving them data and information to help inform their own decision making. Yeah, I, get, I, I think you're onto something there, but I also wonder 
you know, you know, the the you give the machine data, it takes a thousand resumes and turns it into a stack of a hundred, right? And that's kind of the standard model for a lot of different companies that are providing help at the front end of the recruiting process. I don't know. I can't imagine the circumstance where somebody goes back through the thousand resumes that have been sorted to see if the machine made a mistake. And and so I, I, I think you end up with this necessary acceptance of the machine's answer because the machine has all the data. Um, and that I find troubling because we don't know enough about how, who fits in what job to really be making the assertion. So. So are you doing things to um, improve the quality of the recommendations that you might make? Uh, we are taking human input, of course. We are also deeply mindful of, in fact, we, nev- we would never tell a company to only make a hiring decision based on uh, behavioral data because obviously there are many other factors uh, that influence um, you know, what makes somebody good at a job. And again, we kind of talked about that spectrum of kind of low-skilled versus high-skilled and kind of the changing needs. But I think, John, what you're not going to stop is kind of taking measurements of data and then using baseline data to attempt to make predictions. And I think what we can and should be doing is attempting to clean and optimize the data, be checking the data, and certainly not jump, be jumping to places where we're Letting the machine make all of the decisions without any without any human input at this at this stage. Well, I'm, I'm, so I'm just going to come back one more time. It's it's a daunting challenge. No so I'm the recruiter. I have the the hundred resumes that are the output of your system, and I have the nagging feeling that it isn't right. But I don't have the capacity to second guess you. So uh, while while I I appreciate the caution that you shouldn't. I don't know how you can avoid being in a world where the machine effectively makes decisions because the net result of having the machine on staff is you're not going to have anybody around. So, and you wouldn't, so I guess uh, there is this kind of, with, with learning comes kind of this fundamental idea of, of making mistakes and learning from the mistakes, right? And so people, you know, it's funny because in high volume hiring companies who hire tens of thousands of employees, right, when you look at kind of restaurant groups or hospitality groups or retail chains, they already have kind of annual turnover of, I don't know, 125, 150%. So are they making good hiring decisions today? Right. It's hard to tell. And so I think that's, that's, that's the, the balance or the line that we're trying to walk, which is those humans are maybe making decisions with bias or maybe not making the right decisions on the right data, can we help them along the path without, again, kind of fully relying on a machine to make the decision, but giving them the data to help them make better decisions? And I think that's the line we're trying to walk. Well, that's comforting that you care so much about this particular thing. We're coming to the conclusion of our time together. I wonder if um, there are some things you want to make sure that a listener takes away. Um, yeah, I, I think kind of the importance of candidate and employee experience as it applies to really all HR tech and work tech. That's really just a trend um, that Tradeify sees itself playing into, right? Our, our personality data platform is, is image-based, it's mobile first, it's API first. And those are all kind of nice, you know, nice things. But what does candidate experience really mean? For us, it means 
not just using this data to give value back to companies, but also using data um, to give value back to the, to the seeker, to the job seeker, to the employee. And then also being able to use that data across the entire employee journey from kind of passive job seeker to active candidate to, to now employee inside the company. How can this data be used to help the company um, and then also help the individual? My, my, my kind of timely reference, John, is you know, SAP bought Qualtrics for its experience data. Qualtrics helps companies you know, collect and apply the insights from this. Experiences are effectively sentiments. And so Tradeify helps companies collect and apply insights from this personality data, like behavioral, like behavior, soft skills. And personality data is the other key driver of sentiments along with those experiences. So we kind of play into that same, into that same trend, if that makes sense. That's an amazing bit of positioning, and, and, and I hope the people who are listening caught that. Why don't you take a moment and reintroduce yourself and uh, tell people how they might get a hold of you. Jason Finkelstein, the Chief Marketing and Revenue Officer for Tradeify, and the best way to reach me is my email, jason at tradeify.com, T-R-A-I-T-I-F-Y.com. Thanks so much for doing this, Jason. I really appreciate you taking the time here. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations, and we've been talking with Jason Finkelstein, who is the CMO at Tradeify, a fascinating new company who we put on our watch list this year as one of the um, AI companies that you need to pay attention to. Thanks Thanks, again, Jason. It's been a real pleasure. Mm -hmm. All right. And we will see you all next week, same time, same place. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.